Well, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, at least most of your faces. I can see your eyes and eyebrows, so that's pretty good. Uh, I want to invite you to take a Bible if you've got one there, or uh, help yourself to the one that's in the rack in front of you, or if you've got a Bible app on your phone, uh, to Hebrews chapter 10, as we are continuing our journey through this book. So much good, solid, meaty truth here. Uh, We've been uh, looking again and again at why Jesus is uh, God's final word to humanity, uh, his, the fulfillment of all he had said and done previously, how Jesus is greater than anyone or anything. Uh, this morning, we are going to be focusing on an issue that just seems especially relevant these days. We're going to be looking at the issue of hope. Uh, It seems to me that uh, there's an epidemic today, a pandemic, that is even worse than coronavirus. That's obviously bad, but uh, there's a worse pandemic, I think, and that's a pandemic of hopelessness. Uh, What do I mean? What does hopelessness look like? Well, it looks like fear. It looks like anger, and it looks like um, despair. Hope is a confidence about the future. Okay? Hope is future-oriented. It's really the, the forward-looking aspect of faith. So it's this expectation, this confidence about the future, specifically that your future is going to be good. That's hope. But if you don't have that confidence that your future is going to be good, or if even worse, you're feeling fairly confident that your future is going to be awful, well, then you're very likely to feel afraid or angry or just kind of overwhelmed by despair. And I think we're seeing a lot of that these days. You know, people are thinking and saying things like, Well, if my candidate doesn't win, this country's going down the tubes. Or, if this COVID thing doesn't end soon, then our civilization is doomed. Or, if all of this turmoil over racism and injustice, if that doesn't get fixed, it's going to just tear our communities apart. And here's the thing, here's here's the unpleasant reality, those things may not happen. Your candidate might not win, COVID might not come to an end soon, the the, uh, turmoil might not be fixed soon. And so, if that's what we're counting on, if that's what we're hoping for, if that's what we're basing our confidence on, well then it's, it's very likely that we will feel afraid. Uh, We will feel frustrated. We will despair. But the the message of this book, that really the all the message of all of Scripture, is that those of us who are believers in Jesus, 
those of us who have put our trust in Christ, we are meant to have a far bigger hope that can give us joy and peace even when things are very difficult. So let's, let's take a look, because that's one of the big lessons of our passage uh, today. Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 19, reading down through verse 25. Therefore, brothers, that is, fellow believers in Jesus, we're part of God's family, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, So he's using temple language here, speaking to Jewish believers in Jesus. Because Christ died for us, we can enter God's very presence by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, now he gives us three commands, three exhortations. First, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We are acceptable to God. We can go into his presence. Second command, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. There's the mention of hope. We'll focus in on that in a bit. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And, third command, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this is following up on what we looked at last time. And by the way, if you missed it, you can always go to our YouTube channel and and catch previous messages. But uh, this is following up. On, on the focus of last week was because Jesus has made the ultimate sacrifice in fulfillment of all that came before, he made a once-for-all sacrifice for our sin that provides complete, total forgiveness forever for anyone who trusts in him. Because of that, Let us draw near. We can draw near with confidence that God will receive us and we can enter into his presence. And so this is urging us to make getting close to God, drawing near to God, entering into his presence, make that a top priority in your life, really every day. And that's really the first thing to say about hope. Hope is connected to drawing near to God. It it is in God's presence that hope is built and strengthened. And so the first question to ask yourself, if you're feeling hopeless, is, am I regularly drawing near to God? Am I making a priority out of seeking His face, of being close to Him? Because if instead you're regularly drawing near to the news or to Instagram, Facebook, you're regularly drawing near to whatever Joe or Jane's celebrity is saying about whatever, well, then it's not too surprising if you're feeling hopeless. 
God is the source of hope. It's in His presence that we gain hope. Well, let's see what else is here that will help us with hope. So verse 23, we're going to focus in on this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, or as the New International Version puts it, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, the hope we profess as believers in Jesus, for he who promised is faithful. So hold on tight. Hold fast. What, what, what does it tell us? What, I mean, what, what does it tell us that that's, that's the command, that's the urging? Well, one thing it tells me is that it must not come automatically or easily because then we wouldn't have to be told to do it. The Bible doesn't tell us to do things that happen automatically. We, we just do them. So uh, it's something we have to actually do. And the other thing it tells us is that the first people this was written to they apparently weren't doing this. They were not holding tightly to the hope we profess because some of them wanted to quit. They wanted to quit. Why? Well, they were experiencing a lot of harassment as Jewish people who had put their faith in Jesus as their Messiah. They're experiencing all this pressure, this hassle from their fellow uh, Jewish people, and some of them were thinking, you know, maybe it's just not worth it. Maybe we should just go back to the old traditions and the old ways of, of doing things and stop making a big deal about Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews just keeps saying in different ways, don't do that. Don't quit. Do not turn away from Jesus because that would be turning away from God and everything that God, you know, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. For Jews and Gentiles alike, don't turn away, don't quit. So back in chapter 3, verse 12, it said, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And in chapter 4, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And so verse 23 here is just one more way of saying, don't quit. And we're going to see even more as we go on. Well, why were some of them ready to quit? Okay, they were being harassed, they were being hassled. Okay, but it, it wasn't simply that following Jesus was hard. Following Jesus has always been hard. He told us it would be. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. And all the early Christians experienced that. In fact, most people throughout history who have been believers in Jesus have experienced hardship for following him. Um, and, and these people that the, the Hebrews was first written to they had been through extremely hard times before, and they hadn't quit. So uh, if you go to verse 32 of chapter 10, it says, remember, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, after you'd believed the gospel, when you endured in a great conflict of suffering. 
Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and (laughs) joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. My goodness! They had gone through some really tough stuff. People getting thrown in prison, being mocked, and having their stuff confiscated and yet they endured they endured well what was different then okay keep going in verse 34 because you endured because you knew you knew something you held on to something you believed something what you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a little while, He who is coming, Jesus, will come and will not delay. If He hasn't come back yet, He's got a good reason. He's not just procrastinating. He will come and will not delay. Do you see how everything he says there is future-oriented? You see that? That's hope. That's what was different when they were enduring. They were holding tightly to their hope. When you and I believe that what we will gain for believing in Christ and following Him and trusting Him, when we believe that what we will gain is going to be far better than anything we could lose, when we believe that our confidence will be richly rewarded, when we believe that we will receive what God has promised When we believe that Jesus is coming and will not delay. In other words, when our hope is strong, that we have a wonderful future that is certain, well, then we won't quit. We won't quit. So the problem was not that their hardship was increasing. The problem was that their hope was decreasing. That's the reason people quit. That's the reason that people give up on even really important things. That's why people quit their marriages. That's why people quit other important commitments that they've made. That's why people quit, you know, doing ministry. It's why they walk away. Because they no longer believe that it's going to be worth it not to quit. So the question is, how do we hold on tightly to our hope? How do we strengthen our grip on this hope that we're to have? Well, I want to highlight a couple of things here that will help us do just that. Strengthen our grip on hope. 
First thing to do is the first thing we need to do is we need to saturate ourselves with God's promises. Saturate ourselves, our minds and our hearts with the promises that God has given us. So look at verse 23 again. And notice the connection between hope and promises. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for, keyword, because. Because he who promised is faithful. So because God has made promises to us that he will certainly keep, Hold on to your confidence that your future is going to be good. All of our hardships will be worth it. When Jesus returns, as he promised, when he keeps his promises and fulfills those promises, it's going to be worth it. And there are so many of these. So many of these. I started just thumbing through and looking up promises. I'm, going to, I'm just going to run through a brief list. This is just a brief sample. And you might want to jot down the references here because I'm actually going to give you an assignment a little later, and you might want to use these. Okay, so here we go. Matthew 5, 11. Blessed, that means happy. Happy are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because that means great is your reward in heaven. John 14, 3. Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. That where I am, you will be. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. 2 Corinthians 4.17, I'd love to stop and talk about each one of these, but I don't have time. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light and momentary troubles, which coming from the Apostle Paul is an incredible statement considering what he experienced, they don't, they're not light and momentary by experience, but by comparison. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. The very troubles themselves are achieving, are bringing about an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 1 Peter 5.10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will himself god himself will restore confirm strengthen and establish you romans 8 18 for i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us revelation 21 god himself will be with them and be their god he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away that's just a sample there's lots more now why has god given us all these promises you realize he didn't have to he could have just said obey shut up and obey just do it he didn't do that he gave us promise after promise after promise after promise of this glorious future why did he do that to give us hope to make us confident that our future is amazing. 
Totally amazing. But if we don't know the promises, if we don't think about the promises, if we don't dwell on the promises and get excited about the promises, well, they don't do us any good. They don't do us any good. We need to saturate ourselves with these promises. Soak in them, you know? Marinate our minds and hearts in them. Because just a casual glance once, once in a while is not going to do it. They just won't do it. So if you're a believer in Jesus who's feeling hopeless, ask yourself, how much time are you spending thinking about these promises about your future? And you might say, well, yeah, but man, those things, those things seem so far away. So far away. I mean, is Jesus really coming back? It's been like over 2,000 years. Is he really coming back? Is he really going to right every wrong? Is he really going to put an end to evil? Is he really going to wipe away every tear and actually dwell with us? Can we really count on that? I want you to notice the emphasis here in verse 23. The emphasis is not on the promises. I mean, it assumes we know the promises. It's assuming that. But notice where the emphasis is. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You see the emphasis? What matters even more than what is promised is who has promised. I don't know if you've noticed, but it appears we're in an election year. And this happens every time there's an election year. Politicians make promises. Uh, how confident can we be in those? Well, it depends on the promiser. What's his or her track record of keeping promises? Is that what they do? Is it, do they keep their promises? Uh, do they even have the ability, the authority, the power, whatever, to do the things that they're promising? Well, here's the thing about these promises. They weren't made by a politician. They were made by the Son of God who died for us to give us what He's promised and who by rising from the dead proved that He has all the power necessary to do whatever He pleases. And it pleases Him to make and keep promises. He's faithful. So, will he really make it worth it to not quit? Will he make it worth it for us to keep trusting him, to keep doing what he says, 
even when it's hard? Could the future that He promises actually be good enough to make any suffering worth it? Remember who made the promise. He always keeps His promises. And He always will. doesn't matter how unlikely they seem. What matters is who made the promise. And so we've got to saturate ourselves with those promises. We've got to get them out of our Bibles, because just sitting there in our Bibles, they don't do much. Out of the Bibles and into our minds, into our hearts, okay? We've got to do that to strengthen our grip on hope. The other thing to do is surround yourself with God's people. Surround yourself with God's people. In other words, surround yourself with people who love Jesus, who love His Word, who know His Word, who know His promises, and who will provoke you, who will stir you up, who will spur you on to love and good deeds. We need to do that for one another. So verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another, spur one another on, provoke one another to love and good works. Doesn't that sound fun? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hanging on to hope is a group project. It's not an individual effort. We, we need each other's help to have the kind of hope necessary that that motivates us to love and good works. Now it sounds, you know, provoke, spur. If you're a horse, okay, spurring, it's not that positive of a thing. But the context here is totally positive. This is not talking about annoying one another and nagging one another. It's talking about encouraging one another to hold on to our hope. Because here's the thing. If we're not giving ourselves to love and good works like it says here, Again, it's easy to misdiagnose the problem and say, well, the problem is not enough effort. You're not trying hard enough or you're not committed enough. Be more committed. Try harder. Okay, that's not the root problem. The root problem is not a lack of effort. The root problem is not a lack of commitment. It's a lack of hope. We're failing to believe that it's going to be worth it to put out the effort, to experience the heartache, the disappointment of loving people look at galatians 6 9 <laughs> let us not grow weary of doing good let us not grow weary of doing good apparently that can be a problem for because in due season in due time we will reap if we do not give up okay so most of us aren't farmers we don't think a lot about reaping, but think about that farmer going out there every day into the fields and working and working and working. Why? Why does he keep doing it, man? It's hard. It's like, well, because there's a harvest coming and the harvest is going to make all the work worth it. That's the same idea here. We're going to reap in due time if we don't give up. Have you ever felt weary of doing good? You keep doing the things that you, you know Jesus wants you to do. 
and it's just exhausting? Well, what do we do when we feel that way? What do we need? We need hope. We need hope that in due time we will reap. And when the harvest comes, we're going to experience a joy that's going to make all the hardship worth it. Okay? And we need that. We need that hope. The key is not just, you know. Here's the thing. Okay, so this is a one another thing. We're to, we're to stir one another up to love and good deeds. That means we've got to stir up one another's hope. Okay? How do we do that? It just doesn't help very much to have somebody say, ah, come on. Come on. Don't give up. Don't quit. Try harder. You know why they're discouraged? Because they've been trying harder. And it's not working. If you want to help me not grow weary of love and good works, then help me believe that not quitting is going to be worth it. Remind me that God will keep His promises. That in due time, I will reap if I don't give up. Tell me that He who is coming will come and He will not delay. Encourage me that when I've done the will of God, I will receive all that He's promised. Help me see that what I will gain in Christ is far greater than anything this world could offer me. Encourage me with hope. Now here's the thing. We can only do that well with people we know. We have to know people to know what would encourage them, how we could build up their hope, how we could strengthen them. It's really interesting here, the, the original language of verse 24. So our translation says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. That's not bad, but the original actually says, let us consider one another. Let us consider one another. Let us think about one another to stir up to love and good deeds. In other words, the better you know the person, the better you're able to think about what would be helpful to encourage them and strengthen their hope. So, who do you know? Who in your life, who in your life do you have that, that you can consider, that you can think about, that you can encourage? So, see, this is an automatic Especially the older we get, the less automatic it becomes to just have relationships. We have to invest ourselves in building relationships so that we can actually encourage one another. And clearly, it must be easy to neglect this because that just seems to come naturally. That's why it says, don't neglect. And we all need encouragement there's not a person in this room that doesn't need encouragement. There's not a person tuning in who doesn't need encouragement. And we need it more and more as the day draws near. So here's the assignment. Here's your assignment. I want you to think about somebody you know that you could encourage. And I want you to think about something you could do to encourage them. And just do it. You know, maybe it's just write a note. And actually 
put it in the mail and mail it because that seems to communicate a higher level of caring than, than maybe a text or an email. But a text or an email is better than nothing. So if you, if you don't have the time to write a note, then send a text. Well, what do you tell them? Well, consider what would be encouraging to them. So that list of verses I gave you earlier, and then there's many more. What can you do to encourage them to have hope? Remind them of God's promises. And if you are sitting there and you cannot think of a single person that you could do this for, then my, my challenge to you is just take a step toward building some relationships where you could do that. So maybe join a small group if you're not in one. And you could just take the step of writing on your Connect card that you're going to leave there in your seat or you can put in the basket and the offering out there in the foyer in the lobby. Just write on their small group and your name and phone number or email. And, uh, or if you're at home, send an email to uh, Tyler at philida.org. Say small group and he'll follow up with you. But, but take a step. You know, invite somebody in your home. If you can do that, I don't know what the rules are at the moment, but have them in your backyard or out in the air or somewhere or go somewhere. Or, you know, you say, well, that's going to feel really awkward. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, well. We got to do it. We've got to encourage one another. We've got to build each other's hope. Here, here's the thing. I, I didn't get to this, I, I, and I'm probably out of time. But in 1 Peter, it tells us to be, uh, to be ready to give an answer to those who ask us about the hope that we have. See, people are supposed to be looking at us and going, what is up with these people? What is up with them? How come they have this positive expectation of good? And it doesn't mean we're, you know, ignorant of what's, what's bad. In fact, we're supposed to. Jesus calls us to alleviate suffering and do what we can. But beneath and beyond all that, there's this confident expectation that God has a great future for us and we can be confident. We can have joy in that. And so people look at us and say, what is with you? But if we look just as hopeless and just as angry and just as fearful as everybody else who doesn't know Jesus, let's pray for one another. Let's encourage one another to keep looking forward to all that God has promised because it's going to be worth it. It is going to be worth it. All right, I'm going to pray and then we're going to, we're going to do some singing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, wow, these promises you've given us, I confess it is easy for me to focus on the immediate and the urgent and the problems and trials and difficulties that come our way each day and to not take the time to draw near to you and to to dwell on your promises and have our minds and hearts saturated. So will you help us? And would you help us help one another to look forward to the incredible future you've promised for those who know Jesus?
And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody right now who's listening who hasn't yet taken that step, that you will open their eyes to the majesty and glory of Jesus and bring them to faith. Help us now sing with an attitude of worship. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.